Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor Nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we, we know from your word that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would come, that your light would shine in the darkness of our hearts, of our minds, that you would shine in in our minds and hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ as we spend time this morning in your word. Help us, O Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. One of the main headlines in the national news this week was that a Burmese python was captured in the Florida Everglades, which was the longest ever to be captured there. The snake was 19 feet long and weighed 125 pounds. The young man who captured and thankfully killed the snake said, it's the only snake I've ever seen that scared me enough where I just didn't know what to do. The other man who helped to capture the snake also said, It's pretty terrifying to know that these animals are so destructive to our ecosystem. But knowing that we can go out there and take care of monsters like this and get them out of the Everglades is something that makes me feel good. And I have to admit, it made me feel good too (laughs) that they took care of that snake. Then the article went on to share the bad news that the snake was a female 
And the biologists that study the snake believe that she had just laid a batch of eggs with a snake that size. She probably laid over 100 eggs. So 100 more of those pythons are out there. Now, I, I do not like snakes, and I'm sure those snakes are a great danger to the ecosystem in the Everglades. And, and even the idea that there are snakes like this in our country terrifies me. But this story is, is another example for us of how often we can focus our attention on dangers that, that really aren't all that much of a threat to us. We focus our attention on things like this, but then things that are really dangerous to us, things that can really do us great harm and damage are never mentioned in the headlines. Never brought up in conversations we have with others. Rarely even on our minds. I'm talking about dangers like sin, unbelief, and probably the most deadly, self-righteousness. We often overlook the very thing that is the greatest danger to all of our souls. But God doesn't want us to overlook it. God's word is constantly warning us about the danger of our own self-righteousness, and that is what is revealed here in Jonah chapter 4 and what the Lord is warning us about throughout the whole book. Beware of your own self-righteousness. It is deadly both to our souls and to the mission that God has given us. So our main theme from this passage is that we must beware of our own self-righteousness, or beware of how our own self-righteousness drives us away from God and his mission. As I've said uh, before, the book of Jonah is such a unique book because we have to wait until the very end of the book before we find out what the book is really about. And even then, we are left with some questions. I mean, the book ends with a question. With God asking Jonah a question that he doesn't answer. So then, of course, asking us readers this, this question as well. The question kind of hangs over us at the end of the book. Jonah, Jonah now tells us the reason here in chapter 4 why he tried to run away from the presence of the Lord in chapter 1. And we also see that even though it seemed like he had a major change of heart in chapter 2 when the Lord saved him, that there is still a very big problem in his heart that the Lord now is directly addressing in chapter 4. The book of Jonah is very helpful. It is a, a convicting book for us to, 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 to then learn from because it addresses one of the most dangerous threats to our relationship with God that there is, that is our own self-righteousness. So we'll focus first this morning on uh, Jonah's anger and ours. Then on God's compassion and ours, and then finally, we'll take a look forward and see what made Jesus angry and remind ourselves of the mission that the Lord Jesus gave to us. So first, Jonah's anger and ours here in chapter 4 of Jonah. Uh, Jonah had just had the privilege of one of the greatest revivals ever recorded in Scripture and in the history of the world, the Lord had sent him to a foreign nation to 
proclaim his word, and he entered Nineveh and uh, proclaimed the word that the Lord gave him, the, the word of the Lord's judgment against Nineveh, and their immediate response, we're told, was to repent. The whole city repented from the king down to the poorest of the citizens. They all humbled themselves and repented of their wickedness at the word of the Lord. It was an amazing spiritual and moral transformation of this city. And in the book of Jonah, um, at the end of chapter 3, um, or if, if the book of Jonah ended then at the end of chapter 3, it would have been a very feel-good story. I mean, this is a, a great place to end. It would have been a very good ending for the book. But the story doesn't end there. Instead, in the very next scene, we are shown Jonah's reaction, and it is not one that we expected. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. So our, our translation does, does, does a fair job uh, by by stating this, he's exceedingly angry. Uh, one scholar also translated it as, um, and Jonah was deeply offended and furious. The Hebrew word for angry here literally means hot to him. It was hot to him that this happened. The Lord spared pouring his judgment out upon the Ninevites, and Jonah got hot about it. His anger is mentioned in verse 1, then again in verse 4, and finally in verse 9 as well. Chapter 4 revolves then around Jonah's anger. So why was Jonah so angry? Well, Jonah tells us, verses 2 and 3. Let's look at those. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah is angry at God. More specifically, he is angry that God is such a merciful and gracious God. That's why Jonah ran away from God's word for him to go to Nineveh he did not want to allow God to be merciful to these wicked people that were enemies of Jonah's people. He believed they deserved to be overthrown. So why should we warn them about it? Why give them the opportunity to repent? Jonah just knew that God would be merciful to them if they did. For he knows the Lord. He knows who God is. That God is a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. But that's not the only thing that made Jonah mad in this chapter. In verses 5 through 8, we are told what happened to Jonah when he went out of Nineveh after he finished proclaiming the word of the Lord to them. Um, now, we are not sure if this event happened after Jonah prayed um, and expressed his anger to the Lord in verses 1 through 3 or before. I think it happened before. I think verses 1 through 3 and verses 9 through 11 are describing the same conversation that Jonah had with the Lord, but there could have been two different and yet very similar 
uh, conversations here between the Lord and Jonah. Uh, Jonah was hoping to see the destruction of the city of Nineveh, so he built this little shelter uh, made up of, of branches and whatever else he could find to provide him uh, a little shade. This was similar to what the Israelites did in the festival of tabernacles to remember how their ancestors lived in tents in the wilderness after the Lord delivered them out of Egypt. They would make little booze or little, little tabernacles. After he did, he, he, uh, did this here, God then caused this leafy vine uh, to quickly climb up the shelter he had made and fill in the gaps uh, for Jonah to provide him with even more shade. And you can just imagine how this would have made Jonah very happy. I wonder if he thought how blessed he was to have that happen so quickly for him. I mean, wow. Puts the shelter up and then this leafy vine grows up and fills in all the gaps. Now he has perfect shade to sit back and watch what happens to Nineveh. The Lord was what was so gracious to him here, being for him the shade at his right hand so that the sun would not strike him by day nor the moon by night. But then the next day, the Lord sent a worm and caused the worm to eat the roots of the plant so that the next day after that, it withered and died. It was gone as quickly as it arrived. And this also made Jonah hot in more ways than one. So the Lord asked Jonah twice, do you do well to be angry? Or, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Do you have a good reason to be angry? Jonah doesn't answer him regarding being angry about the Lord's mercy towards Nineveh. First time he asks, but he certainly answers the Lord about the vine. Yes, I have a good reason. In fact, I'm angry enough to die. I'm so angry, I could die. So what was Jonah's reason for being so angry? Well, basically it come, comes down to this. Jonah believed he deserved better from God. And that the sinful Ninevites deserved much worse from God. Jonah, after all, was one of God's chosen people. He was the Lord's prophet. He wasn't like those idol worshipers in the boat to Tarshish. I mean, he wasn't like the wicked people of Nineveh. He feared the Lord. He confessed that he feared the Lord, who was the maker of the sea and the dry land, in chapter 1, verse 9. He deserved better. Now, how about you? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that you deserve better than what you were getting? What, what makes you angry? Think about the last time that you were really angry. The last time you were really upset about something. Did you do well to be angry? Was it right for you? To be angry. Have you gotten angry when something really good that, that you were hoping might happen to you instead happens to someone else? To a friend of yours? Or to a family member? Was it right for you to be angry? 
Self-righteousness believes that we deserve the Lord's blessings and gets angry when we see the Lord bless others in similar ways. It doesn't see God's blessings as gifts of God's grace, but as, as a payment for what we've earned. Self-righteousness sees the sins in others, but is blind to the sins in ourselves. And when others you know, point out failures and sins in us, well then self-righteousness quickly justifies our sins as really not being sins at all or, or, or is able to make excuses for them that at least sound good to us, sound right to us. Self-righteousness keeps us from God because we really won't see our need for him if we're doing just fine on our own. We will not repent and seek his mercy because we won't admit to any, any wrongdoing. We won't rely on his grace and his work of salvation for us because self-righteousness relies on our own work. Who we are, what we have done. It relies on our, our own goodness to be acceptable in God's sight. Therefore, self-righteousness is deadly. Self-righteousness drove Jonah away from the Lord in, in chapter 1. That's why he ran away. It, it initially kept Jonah from participating in the Lord's mission to, to, to save the Ninevites from destruction. And we see in chapter 4 that it is still keeping Jonah away from enjoying the blessing of fellowship with God. Peaceful fellowship with God. And it will do the same to us if we are not careful. Self-righteousness may be the most dangerous threat to our souls. Secondly, let's look at God's compassion and ours here in chapter 4. God's compassion and ours. Uh, none of us would have a relationship with God apart from his grace and compassion. If not for God's grace and mercy, we would all have been cast into hell to experience infinite suffering and devastation for sinning against such an infinitely holy God. The entire Bible reveals God's mercy and compassion towards sinners as we see it here in the book of Jonah. He mercifully delivered the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt and fulfilled all of his promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob by leading them into Canaan, the promised land. Uh, then even though his people had rejected him and turned away to worship idols, God did not give up on them but mercifully continued to send them his word through his prophets, and these prophets pointed them forward to the king who was to come, who would suffer in their place and save them from their sins. In the Psalms, God's people wrote songs of praise about God's mercy and compassion towards them. Uh, king David, uh, one of the primary uh, writers of the Psalms, loved God's mercy, loved his grace, and wrote about it often. One example is in Psalm 103, uh, 103. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He will not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love 
toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. We see that mercy displayed here with the Lord patiently listening to his angry servant's prayer and pursuing him, pursuing him with questions. Even though Jonah was so resentful, we see his mercy displayed by providing Jonah with with the shade of that leafy vine. And we also know that that it was out of his mercy to have the plant die in order to help Jonah to see the self-righteousness in his own heart so that he could repent and turn away from it. And the Lord is merciful here to Jonah. The Lord is merciful to us in both granting us blessings as well as discipline to help us to grow or to humble ourselves before him. But it is in verses 10 and 11 where we see the Lord open up his merciful heart to Jonah and explain why he was so merciful to the people of Nineveh. Look at verses 10 and 11. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Now there are two main interpretations for what the Lord meant by persons who do not know their right hand from their left. Some believe he is referring to young children. And he had compassion for this city because of all the young children that would have suffered if the Lord's judgment would have fallen on the city and it would have been overthrown. And, and that's true. I mean, the Lord's judgment would not have just affected the adults of the city. It would have been devastating for all of the residents, the old, the young, and children, and even cattle. But it's more likely that the Lord is just referring to how morally and spiritually unaware the pagan Ninevites were. They didn't know the Lord. They didn't have his revealed word. They, they, they had lost their moral compass. They didn't know it was right. They had been led astray and blinded by the God of this world. The Lord was not saying that just because the Ninevites were spiritually unaware that they did not deserve his judgment. Oh, no. Remember, he had told Jonah before, their evil has come up before me. They have done evil. They were guilty. They deserved his wrath. But, but once they heard his word the Lord did a merciful work in their hearts through his word. And they humbled themselves and they repented of their sin. And and God opposes the proud, but he is gracious to the humble. Whenever there is genuine repentance, the Lord will be merciful and the Lord will forgive. Therefore, he had compassion on them and he did not destroy them in his wrath, much to Jonah's disappointment. And yet Jonah, because of his self-righteousness, didn't realize that that he had far more in common with the the Ninevites than he thought he did. And the same is true for for us. For 
for you and me. We have a lot in common with these Ninevites. We're in the New, New Testament. All unbelievers are described in these ways. As I mentioned earlier, we have, we have minds that are blinded from seeing the light of the gospel by the God of this world. He's blinded the minds of unbelievers from seeing the light of the gospel. We are not free, but we are bound and enslaved to sin. John 8, 34 says that. And we are dead in trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is, is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, as Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 tells us. We're people that just do what we want to do. And what we want to do is against God's will. And we're, we're, we're led astray. We, we, we do the things that we want, which, of course, are disobedient to the Lord. So the Lord's wrath rests upon us. We don't know our right hands from our left. We're no better off than those, than those Ninevites were. And yet the Lord showed us mercy. God had compassion for us. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, that is, beyond all hope of doing anything ourselves to make ourselves right, we're dead in trespasses. God's word says, this merciful God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God had compassion on us. He has compassion for sinners, even you and me. But do we have compassion for sinners? Do we share a measure of God's compassion for those who are still dead in their sins, like we were? Are we seeking to warn them of the judgment to come if they don't repent? Do we pity those who are morally and spiritually unaware of their condition, who don't know their right hands from their left? Finally, let's take a look at Jesus' anger and our mission. The Lord showed Jonah and us that Jonah definitely was not in the right by being so angry, for he had received the same mercy from the Lord as the people of Nineveh had received. He had benefited just as much from God's mercy and grace as they had. He was no different. Therefore, he ought to have rejoiced in their repentance, just as the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. But just because Jonah was wrong to be angry, that doesn't mean that it's always wrong to be angry. For we see that Jesus uh, got angry in the Gospels on a couple of different occasions. We see Jesus get angry. One occasion in particular, he was furious. In John chapter 11, Jesus received word that one of his good friends, Lazarus, was very sick, was dying. And so 
uh, he came. He came to uh, the home. When he, when he came to the home, he was uh, uh, a good number of, 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 of days away. He, he stayed a few days um, before he, he left. Once he left, Lazarus was already dead. He comes to the home of Lazarus, who's met there by Lazarus' sister Martha, who informed Jesus that Lazarus had died. In fact, he had been dead for four days at that point. And then Jesus then talked to uh, Lazarus' other sister, Mary. These are all good friends of Jesus. And John tells us, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And in the original Greek, the word translated as deeply moved in his spirit really has a, has a very strong sense of anger and indignation. As one translation puts it, a deep anger welled up within him. So what made Jesus so angry? Why was he so upset? He had come face to face with death here, with the death of a friend. And he was experiencing it now through the sorrows of his friends and, and the loved ones of the one who had died. And Jesus was furious. He was furious at what sin had done, what sin was doing to his people. Jesus had an indignation build up in his heart for what sin does to us. And so Jesus did something about it. You know the story. He, he, he went to the tomb. He had them roll away the stone. And he called into the tomb for Lazarus to come out. And he does. He did. Lazarus walked out of that tomb alive. Jesus raised the dead. He reached into death and brought one back, showing his power and his authority over death. But that isn't all that he did to defeat death. You know, he also laid down his own life and was crucified in order to bear the guilt and judgment of God against our sins. You see, when God pardons repentant sinners out of his great mercy, he doesn't just overlook their sin as if it really doesn't matter, it really doesn't make a difference anyway. No, no, God is holy and just and must punish sin and judge sinners, and every sinner will either have their sins punished when they are cast into hell forever, or they've had their sins judged on the cross of Christ. Jonah wanted to see the people of Nineveh die for their sins. And he got angry when they didn't. Jesus wanted to see people live and not die. And he got angry about what sin was doing to the people he loved. In Jonah's anger, he, he believed it was better for him to die than to live because his sinners lived and didn't die. Well, Jesus got angry because sinners died. And so he believed it was better for him to die than to live so that sinners could live and not die. And he now calls all those who follow him to share the good news of his saving work on the cross 
so more and more sinners can repent and believe and not perish but have eternal life. So do we have compassion for those who spiritually don't know their right hand from their left, who aren't aware of their spiritually dead condition, who don't know how God has accomplished their salvation in Jesus Christ? Just like Jonah, the Lord is calling us to go to them. He's calling us to declare his word to them. His will is for us to go. How will we respond to his call? The hymn writer John Stocker summed up our response to our Lord's saving mercy and his call to proclaim the good news to others in this way uh, with his great hymn. He said, uh, thy mercy, my God, is the theme of my song, the joy of my heart, and the boast of my tongue. Thy free grace alone from the first to the last hath won my affections and bound my soul fast. Thy mercy in Jesus exempts me from hell. Its glories I'll sing and its wonders I'll tell. T'was Jesus, my friend, when he hung on the tree that opened the channel of mercy for me. That mercy is more than a match for my heart, which wonders to feel its own hardness depart. Dissolved by thy goodness, I fall to the ground and weep for the praise of the mercy I've found. Have you found that mercy? Have you known that mercy? Then let it be the boast of your tongue. Let it let its glories come out of your mouth, singing its praises, telling of its wonders. May our only boast be of his mercy. May we sing of the glories of the saving mercy of Christ and tell of its wonders. May we be humbled once again as we ponder the mercy of God towards sinners like us as we now come to the Lord's table together.